Welcome to Career Crossroads, the podcast about career pivots and the people who make them. I'm your host, Jonathan Colleton, and if you're struggling with a career decision or work with people who need help making career decisions, I am glad you're here. Today, I present to you my recent interview with Mike Gallagher, who is currently the marketing director for Hothead Games, a mobile gaming company based out of Vancouver. Mike's career in marketing has led to some very cool experiences, like photo shoots with Connor McDavid, P.K. Subban, and Connor McGregor, as well as a trip to the NHL Awards. As a big hockey fan, those are fascinating experiences for me to hear about, but they aren't why I wanted to talk to Mike in the first place. I wanted to talk to him because when he was 18, marketing was not the career path that he chose. At the time, Mike was more excited about a career in the film industry. So he headed off to the Art Institute of Vancouver, and after graduating, worked in that industry for a number of years. Then one day, Mike decided to make a change, and that is why I wanted to talk to him. Why film? Why did he leave film? How did he end up in marketing? Those are the questions I was interested in, so that's what we talked about. If that sounds interesting to you, keep listening. I am joined on the podcast today by Mike Gallagher. Mike, thank you for working with me here. I know it's taken us a bit to get connected and to get this finally set up. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm glad that we can finally do this. So you are one of many people recently who I have somehow interviewed who are from the West Coast, from Vancouver. Have you always been in Vancouver? Is that where you grew up? Uh, well, well, if you're from Vancouver, you know that not many people are actually from Vancouver. Right. Vancouver's a pretty small city, right? So I actually grew up in uh, a small suburb called Burnaby. Uh, I lived there for a little bit before moving a little bit farther east to Port Moody. But I, I mean, if you're not from the area, it's all Vancouver. It's all the GVRD. So right. yes, I'm, okay. I'm part of a, a very small dying breed of people who actually are not from Toronto who uh, live in Vancouver. Yes, that's uh, very much happening. I mean, we got talking about this yesterday when we tried to record that I had come out to Vancouver with friends and I was saying, oh, I would love to live out here. So definitely Vancouver is a fun place for people out this way and and a place that a lot of us would love to move to. Uh, but not so much about me and not so much about Vancouver. Let's talk about your career path. That's what we're here to do today. So we always start with talking about what my guest's life was like when they were a teenager, what their interests were, what was influencing them at that point in their life. So when you were in high school, maybe about 16 years old, what was Mike all about? Oh, man. I think I was your classic kid, you know. Uh, I liked Blink-182. Um, <laughs> nice. I liked I liked skateboarding. Uh, I liked root beer. Uh, I, don't, I don't know, man. Like, I, I, was, I was your classic kid. You know, I, I moved to Port Moody and... and um, Whole new group, whole new set of friends, and and uh, you know new hobbies. Trying to fit in, uh, got really into mountain biking, and you know, I, I, for those of you who don't really know the area, uh, Port Moody is right on the base of of a mountain called Eagle Mountain, and a lot of, there's a lot of mountain bikers in the area, and so they they really kind of like dragged me, and I was always you know the film kid, right? I was always the one with the camera, uh, with the video camera. Um, I was the one they brought out and said, Hey, I'm going to hit this jump, come film me and, and do the thing. And, and, and so I, I just, yeah, I don't know. I was the film kid with a bike who just hauled around his camera gear and filming his friends, 
you know, five hours a day before school at the skate park, after school on the trails, wherever we were, we were always kind of, you know, ride and go pro heavy. Okay. And so this is, uh, is fascinating to hear like this new sort of era, this generation of where everybody had just GoPros when they were walking around filming things, which is uh, fascinating because one of my first jobs after university was selling GoPros. So, um, you know, I, there's sort of a break between the pre GoPro era and then the era where everybody can make really amazing video edits of them skateboarding. So you're definitely in that era, which is nice to hear. Okay, I'm going to throw it back even farther, man. When I was a kid, when I was like young, young, um, you know, and for those of you who uh, who are younger listening to this podcast, uh, before digital video, we had these little discs uh, or little like tape, you know, tapes that we would film on. And so I had one of those old, I can't even remember what they were called, but like mini eight discs or something like that. Anyways, I, I had this old camera that we would film these discs on and I would go outside with my friends. We'd have our boom box. We'd have our camera and we would press play on the song that we were listening to or that we wanted to make an edit to. And we would play press record on the video camera at the same time. And we try to live sync them up so that we could have somebody do some like some trick and it would be to music. And then we'd pause both at the same time and then go to the next spot, do it again. And then by the end of the day, you know, we had this three minute edit that we did live with people um, because, you know, I'm not going to age myself, but back in the day, we didn't have access to, you know, TikTok's amazing library of music. It was, what do you have on a CD? What can you carry around with you? And what can you just make live with yourself and your friends at the time? Uh, and then you go back home and you plug in, you know, the, uh, the RCA cable and you try to watch it back and hope that it actually worked. That sounds like more of what I was expecting when you were talking about uh, recording your buddy's skateboarding, because that's more my era. And I figured yeah. we were probably closer in age than than what it sounded like there with the yeah. GoPro. But clearly, film, video, that was very much a big part of your life. So when you were in high school, was that kind of an area that you studied or was that just sort of a hobby outside of school? It was a bit of both. Um, my high school was pretty cool. It had... It had a film program, which was which was wild, right? So we actually, we had an outdoors program too. So it kind of worked really, really well. You know, uh, in grade 10, we had this program called Coast, which was an outdoors program. You spent half the year doing outdoor education. The other half of the year I was doing, all my electives were like graphic design, uh, film, um, art, stuff like that. I, I mean, you can probably see the theme here a little bit. Mm-hmm. I was kind of a, a <laughs> an outdoorsy arts uh, film nerd. And uh it kind of just evolved from there. You know, I, I, I took all the, you know, the, the grade 12 classes when I was like in grade 10 and 11 and my teacher, my film teacher, he was, he saw that I was really passionate about this. He saw that there wasn't electives that I wanted to take. And so he actually, he made me, I I guess you would call it like a film 12 advanced program or whatever. And it basically was a free elective. He's like, you've got, here's your, here's your credits you're getting here is the equipment you can spend the semester in this class making projects, but you have to deliver, you know, a certain amount of, of films per per semester, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really cool, right? Like it was always a part of what I did and it gave me the, not just the gear to go explore what I wanted to do, but the flexibility, you know, during school time to to learn and to have like a mentor that kind of really helped me guide myself as I was leaving high school. Yeah, that's great to have someone who really identifies that you have an interest and probably a certain level of skill in something that they go so far to 
go kind of the extra mile and make sure that you're getting the education that you need out of that. And it sounds like you said, you know, you're getting the credit. So just put in this amount of work. And so really like they knew that this was just good practice for you. And this was clearly a direction you were headed post-graduation, I guess. Yeah, I was, I was pretty lucky that I had somebody like that, obviously, and, and a faculty member that actually cared enough to, to put in that effort, which was really, really cool because uh, not only did he do that, but he also helped me kind of navigate the post-secondary world where I wanted to apply, what I wanted to do, what the right program was for me. Uh, and, and so he actually, he helped me build my application, build my demo reel and stuff like that. And I, I when I left high school, I went to the Art Institute of Vancouver uh, and I took their digital film and production program. I actually, I started it pretty much, I think it was like two months after I graduated high school, I just went straight into, straight into that program, which is a two-year program. It was, it was great. You know, it was, it was so much fun. We, we did, we did everything. We did documentary, we did advertising, uh, we did uh, short films, episodic, man, I, I don't know, I, like any, any sort of type of, mm-hmm. any type of I guess, film project you could possibly think of, we got to explore and we got to call it school. Yeah. So you definitely sound like someone who knew at a, a very young age, the thing that you wanted to do and you had people supporting you in doing that thing and you got into a school to then go and study that thing. So uh, the experience sounds very positive based on everything you just said there. So we can probably sort of skip through most of that time because you mentioned going for two years, I guess it was a two-year program and you graduated after that? Yeah. So I, uh, well, actually, and I just want to, I want to talk about one thing cause I, sure. I, I, I didn't know that film was what I wanted to do for, for school. I, like I, I kind of briefly talked about, it. I, I did a lot of graphic design as well too. Okay. Um, and I, I really liked graphic design. I really liked motion graphics and animation, uh, and just kind of like that entire world. I mean, now, nowadays they're all so interconnected, but back then they were very, they were very separate. Yeah. Right? They were three very different things. You could either do an animation degree, film degree, or a graphic design degree. So I went on a school tour and uh, they they said, okay, well, you can split up, right? Whoever wants to do an animation tour, you can go this way. If you want to do a film tour, you can go this way. If you want to do a uh, like a graphic design tour, we go this way. And they kind of had three different, literally three different paths, three different hallways, you know, that you could walk down. Mm-hmm. And the film guys had all their camera gear out. And I was like, oh, wow, that is, that's so cool. Like, look at, look at all the gear that you get to play with, right? You get to play with real cameras, real tripods, real lenses, real lighting kits. And I, you know, I was there with my mom and I just kind of like got, I just gravitated towards it and it pretty much made my decision for me. Um, so yeah, so, I mean, it it wasn't as cut and dry as like, I want to do this. It was still, you know, a bit of a toss up and kind of a, you know, a decision that was kind of made on the fly, but ultimately was the right one. Um, you know, I went through my program, graduated, left school with absolutely no prospects. (laughs) Therein lies the challenge. You know, what do you do? What do you do when you leave film school? Um, you know, luckily being in Vancouver, there's a huge film industry here, right? Everybody knows somebody, everyone's got an uncle or an aunt who works in some department on, on set or knows someone who used to. And so, you know, my, I, I was working at a coffee bar at the time and um, one of our regulars came in and he was a locations assistant or a locations manager. I don't remember some sort of locations person. And, uh, you know, we just kind of got to chatting while I was making this coffee and he goes, oh, didn't you just graduate film school? And I said, you know, yeah. He's like, do you have a driver's license? He's like, yeah. 
He's like, well, you just wasted $30,000 because just show up tomorrow at, at 8 a.m. on set and uh, you've got the job. And I was like, oh, no, like <laughs> I was like, wow. it's so bittersweet. But, you know, so I, I kind of stumbled into the industry, you know, because it's such a weird industry to get into. Uh, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I, I started working. Okay. So tell me about what that kind of job is like, because I think for a lot of people who don't work in that industry, they hear these titles and they have no actual clue what it is that anybody is doing. They just know at the end of the day, a TV show or a movie is made. So tell us about what your job actually was like. So my first job when I was working in film was as a production assistant. It is not glamorous. Uh, It is long hours and it was, it was fun at times and really, really boring at other times. So to give you a sense, like, you know, when you drive past a film set and you see those people who are, you know, they've got their stop go signs and they've got their little vests on and they look like they're doing nothing. Mm-hmm. Those are the production assistants. Their job, I'm sure someone will correct me on this because uh, there's more to it than, than how I'm going to paraphrase it. So I apologize to all the PAs out there. Uh, but their job is basically to stand around and make sure nothing gets stolen and mm. to make sure that people aren't walking through set when they're recording. Right. And so it's very basic. It's very entry level. You know, you work 16 hour days. Um, it, it's tough. It's a really tough job. You get a half hour break, you know, uh, it's it's not it's not fun it's not glamorous but you get exposed to all the different departments you you kind of just meet people right you stand around the trucks um you you know you'll stand around like the grip truck the lighting truck the camera truck you're constantly interacting with the people coming and going because there's a lot of people who are just kind of there there's a lot of sitting around throughout the day there's a lot of waiting for the shot to get set up and you kind of just learn what all the different departments are from being involved and being on Mm -hmm. on set right and so it was really cool you know it's it's education that you're getting paid to learn as opposed to paying to learn if that makes sense you know uh it's uh you know it's interesting um so i did that for a while uh slowly started to work up you know managed uh yeah i became a key a key pa which means basically i i am managing a set of pas and making sure that uh, the entire set is being taken care of it's all unionized, right? So you become a PA, then you become a key PA, then you're an assistant locations manager, the locations manager, and so on and so on and so on. So right, so it's very structured and militaristic in the way that you can kind of work your way up through the ranks. And so I did that for a while, um, and it was interesting. You know, I, I I did that for a couple of years, met a lot of people, grew my network, and uh, realized that I didn't really want to be watching trucks anymore. Okay. So is that a realization that, you know, at that time you were maybe in the wrong industry or you just really needed a change of scenery from the specific work you were doing and, you know, you had other areas that you had identified and all this time standing around different trucks talking to people where you thought, I don't want to be doing this, but I would like to be doing one of those things. Yeah. So one thing about the film industry that you'll if, you, if you've never worked in it, you probably don't know, is that it's very inconsistent work. So you'll work for a month on a show, show's over, you're done, you're unemployed. You work for three months, show's over, you're unemployed, so on and so on. Sometimes you'll pick up a day a week, sometimes you'll pick up three days a week, other days you'll go months without having a job. So you either have to be really good with your money <laughs> or 
you need to figure out something else that you can kind of do on the side. And so I started my own motion graphics and editing company um, just to kind of pick up the slack and pay the bills and, and stay active and doing things, right? So I started getting my own clients and uh, and kind of directing music videos and, and editing corporate videos and shooting short films and that kind of stuff just when I had spare time. And I would get people from set that I had met to come and kind of crew my stuff. And, you know, it was a lot of fun. Uh, you know, you make a, make a little bit of money and, and, you know, pay the bills. But, you know, ultimately, obviously, your job is working on set. And I kind of mm-hmm. got to the point where I was like, I don't want to PA anymore. And I don't want to be an assistance location manager. I don't want to do locations. It's long hours. It's it's uh, it's not interesting. It's not creative, right? And sorry for anybody who's an ALM who's listening to this. Like I said, uh, you guys are you guys are real heroes on set. It's just not for me. And um, so I I got a call one day from our production manager, and he says, "I've got a show coming up. I want you to be my key PA. Do you want to run it?" And I said. No, <laughs> no, I, I do. I will work for you. I want to be on the show. I don't want to be a PA anymore. Like I need to do something else. Like this is just not, not for me. And he says, okay, what do you want to do? I was like, well, I want to do editing. I love editing. I love being on the computer and, and building the show and, and, you know, that kind of stuff. Like I really like, that's where I ultimately want to go. And he goes, okay, I'll call you back. Let me see what I can do day goes by something like this uh he calls me back and he goes hey mike all right uh so i've got some news for you and i'm like what's that he's like can't get you into the editing booth because the budgets blah 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 we don't have budget for another junior level editor but what i can do is i can get you on props and you know you'll be you'll be working really closely with the the props master it'll be artistic it'll be fun uh, you get to actually be hands-on working with the director, working with the actors and like kind of like more involved in the production. I was like, you know what? Sign me up. Let's do it. And so I, I made the jump. It's a, it's a department I actually didn't really know a lot about, but I took a, you know, leap of faith and, and said, I am not working 16 hour days anymore. I'm getting that down to 12. Uh, so let's, let's go for it. Let's do it. So that is definitely a, a major change to go from the very logistical side of the uh, production to creating the props, which as you, you know, you use the word creative there. And clearly from everything you were discussing from high school, it sounded like that was more what you were interested in before. And it just, it took you a while to kind of get there from the, uh, you know, you had to go through the, the PA type roles that a lot of people start with, as you mentioned. And it's funny enough that you mentioned that because I have a cousin who just graduated film school and she's kind of going through that right now where she uh, is making her own props for her own short films, but then she's doing PA work on other films. And she was saying kind of the same thing that you just said about like just being around and sort of seeing how things run. That kind of exposure is what really gives you what you need to move up in the industry and to understand where you might want to go. So for you, not having all that much experience, as you said, in the props department, when you got there, did you find it to be kind of just a different version of some of the creative stuff that you liked before? Was there a certain difficulty level of trying to adjust to something like that? That's a really good question. I have to remember back. Give me a second because I have to remember back. It was it was a while ago, man. It was a, it was a long time ago. Sure. Um, well, what kind of props were you making, by the way? I mean, I am very curious about yeah, that too. 
Yeah, so it was very different than I was expecting to start with. You know, I, I was working... The first show that I did props on was a Disney show. And super low stakes, you know, nothing nothing too crazy. It was actually... Uh, I, won't, I won't say the title of it, but... Uh, if you if you can think of dogs that play basketball and maybe their offspring in Halloween, you can probably put uh, put the pieces together <laughs> as to what the show gotcha. was. Um, anyways, it was it was very different from what I was expecting. Very involved in a very different way, and it was very meticulous, which I wasn't expecting either. Everything was documented, right? Luckily, I'm I'm fairly well organized, and you know had had done some continuity work in my freelance, you know, side gigs, and so I had a good understanding of of those kind of, I guess, cataloging intricacies that were necessary to log things like which actor is wearing which ring and what size it was during what scene on what day, like. Mm. Very, very intricate work to remember all these little things and then storage systems. If you think about a filing cabinet of, you know, I guess archived files of, you know, tax returns, I don't know, whatever. That's what we were doing to that level of a degree, but with stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, rings, bigger, bulkier, takes yeah. up a lot of space. Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, I, I ended up going on and working on a cop show and we were doing like file work, like police file work, right? And so we would make fake case reports of a murder uh, that we were, that you know, they, they were investigating. And so not only did we have to make the police reports and police filings, we had to go out and like create crime scenes and then take pictures of these crime scenes. And so we got to be pretty creative, right? When it came, mm-hmm. when it came to this, like to the point where we would have ballistics experts come in and, you know, we would have, okay, so the shooter is this way, right? And they would, you know, they would look down a fake barrel of a gun, you know, down at the floor where like the victim is, I don't know, supposedly crawling away. I'm mad. I'm going to make this sound so like not, not safe for work, but I will, I'll, I'll avoid that. Uh, but like the person is crawling away and then we would say, okay, the shooter is coming from this angle. And so they would take like a fake squib right where the person, you know, is supposed to be. And then they'd tap a little button and it would give fake blood spray in a direction. And so we're like, okay, well, how did this kind of unfold? How did this crime unfold? And you got to like play and build this scene out and then go and take photos of it to build these reports that then you had to document and store and make sure that, you know, as the actors were using it and as they would say, write a note, you know, the, the classic, you know, red string on the wall type thing, uh, you mm-hmm. know, they're connecting the dots and, you know, it's super intense. Well, it's our job to make sure that, you know, if scene 1A is red dot, you know, string here to, string, you know, point A to point B, and then, you know, scene three is point B to point C and so on and so on. Well, if we have to go back and pick it up three days later and reshoot something, where should that red string be? Right. So that's that's where we would come in and we had to make sure that all of that stuff, anything that the actors touched, we could entirely reset because we had the records to say this is how it was set up and this is how it ended and this is where they have to move these things from from all these different places. So it all was, that continuity stuff, yeah. that's all in the props department. I hadn't it, thought about that. Yeah, yeah. So it was it was really really intra it was a really interesting role. We got to do cool things like uh you know, they'd give us like um 
like a metal spatula or something. I don't know, maybe not a metal. I don't think there's a such thing as a metal spatula, but a metal tool. And they're like, this is from ancient Egypt or something. Go age it a thousand years. And, you yeah. know, my props master was, um, man, he was a genius. He'd be like, all right, we need these chemicals. And we would put them in various chemical baths and like age the metals hundreds of years rapidly, you know, just by adding certain chemicals and stripping certain things out and stuff like this. And man, it was, it was cool. It was a really, really cool job. Yeah, that does, uh, that does sound very fascinating because I think it's the thing that like people don't really notice, you know, or, or think about like you're in the background, but if you guys screw up, it is very noticeable. Um, I know there's, I think it's from Ocean's Eleven. There's like a fairly well-known scene where Brad Pitt is in the casino observing something and he's eating like a shrimp bowl, a shrimp cocktail. And then they cut away and they cut back to him and he's eating something else and they cut away and cut back and he's back to the shrimp bowl. So like clearly they had to go and reshoot days later and forgot what he was eating or something like that. So that's the stuff that when it's, when it's good, it just makes the show work. And when it's bad, it's very noticeable. I think that watches are the worst. Uh, I think there's, I think there's one in um, Lord of the Rings with Gandalf is wearing a watch and uh, obviously they didn't have watches in, you know, yeah. <laughs> Middle Earth. And uh, well, maybe they did. Who knows? Um, he is a wizard. Uh, but, you know, all of a sudden he's got a watch on and the next thing you know, it's not there. Or like watches switch hands, stuff like that. Like, right. All of that is props. Yeah. I remember a couple of years ago, well, more than a few now, you know how COVID made a bunch of years disappeared uh, a while back in one of the final seasons of Game of Thrones, there was a Starbucks cup left in one of the scenes. Yep. So that's one of the big ones. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So that sounds like fascinating. And it sounds like the work you were doing, you were enjoying it. I mean, it, you got some of the creative stuff that you were looking for. How long did you end up doing props for? I think I did props for three, three years, maybe three years. Yeah. About that. Why did you leave props? I left props and the film industry for a couple reasons. Okay. Gonna, so that the end of props was the end of the film industry. End of props was the end of my end of film. Yeah. This is a serious um, crossroad moment. Let's get this, yeah, let's let's dive in. Yeah, this is it. Uh, so I started noticing my time on set was affecting my health, uh, my my relationship with my friends, and my relationship with my family. And I started to notice patterns with the people that I was working with. I'm not going to speak for everybody. Maybe I just got unlucky with this with the group of people that I was working with, but a lot of them were divorced or single or something like this, right? And I remember talking to a bunch of people this one Friday and I said, what are you guys doing this weekend? You know, trying to see, you know, see if anybody wanted to go out for whatever, do something on the weekend. And almost all of them said, this is the weekend that I get my kid. And I remember thinking to myself, I don't want my life to be like that, you know, and obviously that's, I, I understand that this is a heavy topic for some people who might be listening and, and you know, this is just uh, my my own take on on relationships. Um, I I didn't want my life to, to be like that. I wanted to try to, I wanted to have health, healthy relationships with my partner. I wanted to help have healthy relationships with my friends and my family. Uh, 
you know, I, I come from a very tight knit family and, and I, you know, I could already tell that working, you know, starting at work Monday morning, 6am work for 12 hours, you're done at, you're done at six. The next day you have to be back on set by eight. You work till eight next day. You're back, you know, at 10, you know what I mean? And so mm-hmm. by Friday night, you know, sometimes they call them Fridays because you basically half the time you wouldn't end work until about four or five in the morning on Saturday morning. And so then half your weekend's gone, right? Like you only have mm-hmm. a day and a half left. And, you know, what do you got to do? Well, you got to go grocery shopping because you're now you have to feed yourself. You're fed all day. You know, you don't have to worry about food when you're working film because they feed you all day long. I got to go grocery shopping. I got to do laundry. I got to somehow make time for my friends and my family. And then I got to go to sleep early on Sunday because I got to be up at, you know, and I got to be on set by 6 a.m., which means I'm up at 4 because, you know, you're filming and you're driving up to Squamish. Or, you know, you're driving into the valley or wherever you might be going, wherever set is that day. And so, you know, it, it just kind of, it got to the point where I was like, it's not, it's not worth it for me anymore. And there was this day, it was in the middle of the winter. It was, I want to say it was like minus 12 degrees Celsius out. Uh, for those of you who work in Fahrenheit, that's, that's cold. Um <laughs> It's pretty cold. That's exactly what I would have said. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's cold. Um, and they had fake rain towers because it wasn't it, we were pretending to be filming in Seattle and there was fake rain. And so it's a dry, cold night. We're bundled up and we're standing underneath fake freezing rain, which is just dumping buckets because if for, for water to show up on film like that, you're not trickling water. It is like someone is holding a hose, you know, they're just dumping buckets of water on you. And I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm freezing. It's like four in the morning. I'm freezing. I'm wet. I'm cold. And finally, I like, it wasn't even me who snapped. It was one of the cast members. We were, they were doing the scene where they were getting like beat up and had to lay there in the mud and in the water and just let the water, you know, just dump on them. And they would just like they did this long close-up shot of of the guy, and he's supposed to pretend to be passed out on the you know on the ground. And finally, he's like, "I've done this for the last two hours." He's like, "I'm almost hypothermic. I'm done. Like you have enough shots. I'm not doing this anymore." And he walked off set. And half the crew was like, "Yep, yep, hundred uh, percent there with you." And it was like it was actually that moment. I I. Uh, the next day, that Saturday, I was like, mom and dad, I'm moving home <laughs> because I'm going back to school and I'm I'm not doing this anymore. Like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm done. Uh, wow. and, and they said, okay. Okay. So very much a lifestyle choice for, you know, relationships and sort of the, the work environment, all those things you mentioned. I am curious about that decision to go back to school. Is that one of those things where in hindsight, that's how you tell the story? Or did you know at that exact moment, like I'm going back to school, like had you been thinking about it for a while or was it just one of those kind of things that like came over you or did it actually take you a few days and this is just how you tell the story? (laughs) Uh, A bit of both. (laughs) So it's, it's obviously how I tell the story. Uh, There was a bit more that went into it. So, my my initial reaction was like, yeah, I need a new career choice. Um, I I didn't know what that career choice was. You know, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I knew I still wanted to be creative. I knew that like 
I couldn't just go back and do another four-year degree program. Like that wasn't that wasn't going to work for me. So obviously I, I noodled on it for a bit, trying to figure out what it was I was going to do. And and so I actually decided to go backpacking through Europe. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of missed out on a lot of that side of my youth, I guess, by just jumping into working full-time in the super intense industry. Um, and so I applied for... I applied for school. Uh, I applied kind of on a whim for the marketing communications program at BCIT, and uh, which is a uh, it's a trade school uh, business, really great business program here in, in British Columbia. Um, shout out BCIT, and uh, I I didn't know if I got accepted or not, you know. Um, so I went backpacking, came back, got the acceptance letter while I was gone, uh, and I had two weeks to get ready to go back to school. <laughs> wow. Quick turnaround. Oh yeah. It was quick, man. That, but that's how, that's how it goes. That is a uh, funny, the backpacking thing, when you threw that in, that just made me realize, um, you know, as you and me kind of discussed before, the reason you ended up on this show is because you knew you went to school with Josh Green, who I interviewed a while ago on this podcast. He, he did the exact same thing. He was actually trying to become an actor quit that, went backpacking. He did it for a long, long time. Uh, but then when he came back, he went to BCIT. So I didn't realize it was that similar of a path until uh, you were kind of telling that story right now. But to get to your time at BCIT, knowing how quick that decision was, and obviously you had put some thought into it. You mentioned, you know, wanting to still be creative, and but it was a quick turnaround for you. When you got there, was it one of those things where you immediately felt like, okay, I've made the right choice? Or did you feel like, I got to feel this out for a little bit to decide if this is really the right place for me to be or the right thing for me to be studying? Man, my first day back at school, we went to orientation and all that kind of stuff, right? And I was like, wow, this is so weird. So weird, right? right? Um, BCIT is one of those schools where you get People who are either coming directly from high school or you get mature students who are looking, you know, who have a degree and are looking mm-hmm. for that trade certification uh, or, or whatever, right? You know, you've got the academic degree. They want the practical degree or, or whatever we call it, a diploma. Um, so it was a really interesting mix of people, right? Really, really interesting. And uh, I don't know, man, it was it was strange. It was really strange being in an auditorium sitting there waiting for a lecture, you know, almost feeling like, what am I doing? You know, three weeks ago, I was, you know, in Rome <laughs> going bar hopping and now I'm back in, back in school. And then we go to my first class and it got canceled and nobody knew. So we were like, well, what do we do? So actually it's funny, everybody, everybody was there ready to go to the class, um, you know, in our, in our cohort was like, well, let's just go to the pub. And so, the whole group actually got off on the right foot and we all got to know each other pretty quick over uh, a, a couple adult beverages and some chicken wings. So it was, um, it ended up being really good. It was a good, it was a good time. We kicked off, we kicked it off really, really well. And, you know, once you get to know the people and you start to take some classes and, and you look at your, uh, you know, your, your course load and you're like, okay, this is, this is neat. I can see how this is going to help my skill set that I had built, you know, in an industry building content and working in entertainment and how I'm going to be able to apply this to a different side of the business. 
See, that is uh, fascinating. Because you had that previous life experience, you're immediately able to connect all the things you're studying directly to uh, a practical usage in a working environment, which I think is a big difference between your typical 18, 19-year-old that goes to university. I myself took a course for a, a master's program at one point. I didn't continue with the program. I decided it wasn't for me. But in that one course, I think four of us were working in the industry and the remaining 16 weren't. And sort of the, the gap of uh, understanding of how to then utilize that knowledge, um, I felt was, you know, it's, it's, it's very different when you've actually worked already in an industry where you can see yourself applying those things. So did you find that to be kind of a, a thread that you noticed when working with perhaps some of the younger students as compared to some of the older students that you were in school with? A threat. Sorry, can you clarify what you mean by a threat? Like, just- sure. Yeah, I just like for me when I had something kind of a similar experience when I was able to connect those learnings directly to uh, something I had done in my career already. I noticed a big gap where the other people in the class who had not worked in not even my own industry, but kind of just didn't have the same level of job experience. They were more still students at that point in their life. They just sort of couldn't connect things the same way. Did you find that with the younger students? Yeah. I know this has nothing to do with your career. I'm just no. curious. Yeah, no, I, I yes, uh, there was definitely a difference in maturity with the people that you were that you were studying with, especially in a program like this, right? Because you get people who mm-hmm. might not want to do four years of schooling who are just like, hey, I want a two-year program and then I want to go work, right? Uh, And then, or you get the student who's, I've done my four-year degree program and I need something practical, you know, and so they're looking for their six years of of schooling, you know, without going into like a master's program or something like that. And then there's that other cohort of like, you know, the more mature students who are people who've got some work experience and are coming back and and trying to either, you know, up-level their skill sets or make a pivot like, like I was doing. But I think that's the really interesting thing. Like, you know, because there is that level of maturity difference between everyone that you're talking to, when you're working in group projects, you get a really great mix of ideas and mm. and expectations of people, you know, from people and uh, what they're trying to get out of it and, you know, what the output looks like. You know, like you get ideas that you never would have thought of because somebody, you know, is probably is not bogged down with preconceived you know, bad habits, let's say, right. Uh, mm-hmm. Or, or thoughts as to how to approach something because they've done it before and work, right. It's, you get fresh perspectives. So it was interesting. It was definitely, it was definitely interesting. I love that perspective on that because I, I think, you know, what I was wondering about was sort of the, um, to, to sort of maybe help other people realize like sort of that adult education where you go back as a mature student gives you a whole different perspective, but you've also been able to very well point out that when you do that, you are learning a lot from the younger people who have not had those same experiences from you. So that's good to hear about because it wasn't something I was actually considering, but I like that. So let's then get into you graduate from BCIT and tell me about getting into the, a career in marketing because that was well you said I think marketing and digital communication was that what the uh, the diploma or the program was called it just marketing communication marketing communication okay so then what was it like trying to then get a job coming out of 
that particular program because you already had work experience and you've got multiple different uh, diplomas or degrees or whatever they are at this point. So did you, you know, before when you said you were coming to film school, no prospects, was it the same situation coming out of this or were there prospects? No prospects. No prospects. I, I went straight back to working in film. <laughs> No kidding. Yeah. Uh, I went straight back to working in film on the fourth season of the show that I had originally quit from. So uh, how's how's this for serendipitous? I did one year on the program or on, on like the show, right? Uh, I quit, went back to school for seasons two and three. So years one and two of my schooling. And then season four uh, of the show, which was the last season, they brought me back and I was able to like bookend going back to school with the show that I had quit. And so it was funny. uh, Luckily they had a new production company that was managing it and the conditions got a lot better, you know, and, and actually I, I won't say who it is because I don't know if I can, if I can uh, talk about it, but let's just say that the people who bought the show are, they have a big red logo uh, that's surrounded by black and I, I guess they they put Blockbuster out of business. Anyways, I, I did some behind the scenes freelancing for them and on the social media side. And so they needed someone who could do behind the scenes content capturing for social media. I don't even remember actually how that came about. I think I just kind of overheard somebody talking and I was like, put my hand up and said, yeah, I could do that for you. Um, they're like, cool. Like let's... while you were on set yeah. for your other job? Okay, yeah. so you're on set doing yeah. your film job and then you overhear them talking about social media and you're like, hey, I can do that. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, all right, yeah, I, I could double dip for you. Um, this is why I don't think I can I can name the show because I don't want to get in trouble sure. years later. Sure. Um, but they said, yeah, you know what? You're already working on set. Sure, why not? Like, do it. Go for it. So I was like, all right, cool. And that kind of kicked off my interest in doing like social media marketing. And so I finished that show, had this like, you know, pretty decent freelance client contract on my resume. And there was a PR agency in town that was looking for a social media coordinator. And they did PR and social media for the entertainment industry. And so it was just like the most easy transition you know, from working outside on set to working from nine to five, because I already knew the industry, I knew the people. Uh, and now I had the skill set from going back to school, I, I just was able to marry those two things perfectly and went and worked in social media for this, uh, yeah, this PR agency doing PR for film, basically. Wow, no kidding, right? Talk about a perfect transition. You've already got all the knowledge of how the film industry works, literal years and years of working on it. Uh, you probably know people in the industry, which in theory could make your job even easier than on the social media side. Whether or not you took advantage of those connections, who's to say? We're not going to get into that and uh, you know, sewer you for that. But okay, so as you, you know, start getting into this, you already felt like it was going to be the right kind of fit. You were interested in social media marketing. Did it feel like you were entering something that could be a much more sustainable long-term career? Did it really solve some of the problems that were the reasons why you left the film industry the first time around, the relationships, uh, the sort of work-life balance? Anybody who's worked in an ad agency would say the work-life balance of an ad agency or a PR agency is no better than the film industry. Uh, so I'm going to put that out there right now. Um, okay. <laughs> you get, you get uh, 
yeah, it's 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 still tough. Um, and actually, I forgot to mention uh, just a, a funny aside. I did my internship at DDB, which is a big ad agency in uh, you know in in Canada, and I was working on a milk commercial, you know, like the old got milk commercials. So, oh yes. <laughs> and uh, just to show you how small the industry is, we were filming some commercials in uh, in in Vancouver, and we happened to be filming on the street that I grew up in, in Burnaby. And the people who were running the production were people that got me into the industry when I first started out in film. And now I was back as an intern on the other side of the camera, on the other side of the script, telling them what to do. (laughs) So it was just kind of funny. So, so like, you know, did I flex my, my contacts? No, but I happened to see them around uh, just because of the way that it works. But I think the really hard part, though, about going back and kind of switching from, you know, from having a previous career, going back to school, coming in, working at a place, especially in an industry, doing something new for an industry that I knew a lot about in a junior position, I found I had a harder time being junior again because I had been used to being you know, a little bit more senior with the people and managing a team. And so Hmm. coming in, you know, coming into this job, I didn't have the experience or the authority to pull on my clout that I have from previous industry, right? I'm starting fresh. And that was a real challenge because I was used to having a team. Now I am at the bottom of that barrel. Mm. That's, um, I, I, I like that you talk about that because I, you know, I've done probably 80 plus of these interviews over this podcast so far. There's more episodes, but not everyone's an interview. And so, uh, the number is slightly elusive unless I want to go count. The point is I don't recall people ever talking about that kind of experience, but it makes so much sense when you say it like that, because when you have that level of, of expertise and, you know, you know how things work and you want to be able to kind of work at a certain level, uh, but now you're back to probably doing some of the more basic stuff, the the stuff, you know, like the PA days, go stand over here and make sure nobody walks across set. Like you're back to doing some of that stuff early on, because just like you were in your previous role, you've got to work your way up and really get that experience so that you can, you know, there's an element of like just learning the industry and an element of just like biding your time, someone's got to do it and you're the lowest man on the totem pole, right? So um, I'm I'm glad to hear you kind of talk about that because it's not a thing that I feel like I've heard a lot from people before, but like I said, it, it makes so much sense. So let's talk about then your sort of progression through the industry because I know you've had a, a number of different roles uh, that you've done in different companies. And uh, you mentioned uh, to me in, in our kind of communications before the show, working on a couple Kickstarter campaigns, which is, um, I'm sure, a fascinating experience. And talk a little about that. But I don't want you to talk too much about it because what I really want to hear about is your time working on uh, the NFL, sorry, NHL and UFC franchises uh, because that was the moment where I knew we were definitely going to do this interview because you mentioned growing up playing Chell and that's exactly how me and my family would talk about it too. And I thought, okay, we got to talk about this. So, you know, tell me a little bit about Kickstarter and then let's get over to, to talking about Chell and what you were doing on that franchise. So I left the, the agency that I was working at. Um, you know, I, I think that I left 
a little bit because of my ego. Uh, I don't think that I had humbled myself enough to accept that I was lowest person, you know, on the totem pole kind of thing. I, it, it just, you know, you kind of have to go through that experience, right? Luckily I, I left on my own, my own merit, but you know, it was, things weren't necessarily going as well as they could have by the time I was leaving. I still feel like I have really good relationships with the people that I was working there with, but you know, it was time for me to, to make a change. And so I went over to a small tech startup that was really, you know, it was really interesting. They were working in 3D printing. We ran a couple Kickstarters to launch their products. We did TechCrunch beta kit. Uh, so anyone who's watched Silicon Valley probably knows all about uh, that that competition. Uh, we came second. We didn't win, but we came second. So we didn't get the big check, but we got the notoriety, which was pretty cool. And is that the competition where everyone is like, we're here to like break the norm and it's all just like catchy taglines? Yes. Yeah. We're here to disrupt and yeah. Disrupt. That's the word everyone yeah. said, right? I remember that. Yeah. And we were there. We were there to disrupt the the 3D printing custom insole game, uh, which uh, <laughs> was was a crazy, a crazy proposition. But it was really cool, man. That was a really cool job. Uh, met a lot of really good lifelong friends actually from there and uh, stuck with them. Um, we went through series a, uh, we went through seed funding and series a, uh, and unfortunately, you know, like with most things with, within tech, uh, uh, sometimes funding, uh, runs out and, uh, things need to change and, and, uh, you know, the fat needs to be trimmed. Uh, so I, I actually, I left, um, my manager at that company, she left and went back to EA. Uh, she was like the senior director of communications or something, and she, she knew I was looking for something different because, uh, you know, the, the industry was kind of drying up a little bit. Uh, I reached out to her. She said, well, you're a good Canadian boy who's played Chell, uh, I'm sure, and loves hockey. And I said, yes, that's me. Hand in the air is waving as hard as I could. And she said, well, you know, I've got this. I got this opportunity. It's an engagement strategist role at, uh, you know, working on the NHL and UFC franchises. I I said, cool. Like, get me in there. How can I come interview with your team today? And, uh, you know, I, I won't go through that, that whole process. Um, cause you know, they were pretty rigorous and, and there was a, there was a lot of steps, uh, as a big fortune 500 company, uh, you know, as, as you can imagine they would do, got the job and, uh, got to work on some pretty cool projects running the community for, uh, NHL 18, 19, and UFC 3. So running the community, tell me exactly what that entails, because I know that's kind of different for, for different industries. For some people, that's you're the guy on Reddit talking to the people playing the game. You're running a Discord server. You're in the, the message boards on the EA website. What kind of stuff were you doing? So as the engagement strategist, I was doing all their social media content creation, live events, I was working with the live ops team to come up with ad strategy or content strategy to promote new uh, weekly events that they'd have going on. Uh, you know, if, if anybody here plays hut or ultimate team, you know, there's, there's a lot of marketing campaigns that kind of go behind that obviously, because that's a big one of their, their, uh, you know, their financial drivers. Uh, we get to make really cool content about that. We got to launch the game. So we built all the launch content. I got to do photo shoots with PK Subban, Connor McDavid, the off the bench guys, uh, 
you know, from the UFC side, we did a live stream with Demetrius Johnson, uh, Mighty Mouse, uh, who is, you know, shout out to anybody who watches UFC and knows uh, Mighty Mouse. The guy's like 5'5", five, five, and he is strong. Oh my God, you know, I, I'm I'm six foot, you know, 220, and, and this guy like lifted me up with one arm. And I was like, this is this is insane. These guys are next level. Anyway, I digress. Um, but, we, you know, we got to do a lot of really cool things like that. I, I flew to Toronto and I, you know, for the launch of NHL 19 and did a live activation with the on the bench guys where we were hiding the game around the city for PlayStation and Xbox users to go find, uh, which was really successful and, and pretty cool. You know, we worked with various NHL franchises to make content, uh, worked with Conor McGregor for the Conor McGregor and Khabib Nurmagomedov fight. Uh, that was pretty cool doing custom artwork with that. Um, I think the coolest thing, though, and this is I'm going to hot flex for a second. We got to go down to the NHL awards and uh, be there for that with uh, PK Subban and the off the bench guys or on the bench guys, sorry, and launched the game. And so got to be the guy who presses go on all the communication and all the social media stuff uh, and all the the artwork across all our different channels uh, from the NHL awards down in in Las Vegas, um, which was, which was very, very cool. Uh, definitely a unique experience that I, I don't think I'll ever get to do again. Uh, that's awesome. So I do know from the kind of information you shared with me in advance that while that was a very awesome experience, it probably didn't end in the best possible way. Is that right? Yeah. So my time at EA unfortunately came to an end because like what we're experiencing now with the tech industries, there was a lot, there's a lot of layoffs. Uh, there was at that time as well too. Uh, unfortunately, I was a casualty of the layoffs that, uh, that happened there and had to figure out what I was going to do. Um, luckily, I, I landed on my feet at a small mobile games company in uh, Kelowna called Hyper Hippo Games. Probably one of the best experiences I've ever had at a company. Uh, the people there were awesome. You know, I, it wasn't console. So at EA, we were working specifically on console games. Mm-hmm. This was a big, big, big departure, big shift over into working on mobile games specifically. Um, very, very different, but very interesting. And so I was brought on there as the director of player experience, which basically meant anything that a player touches outside of the actual game itself kind of fell within within my domain. So at my time there, we built out I built out an internal creative agency uh, where we were doing, you know, drawing back to my film days, we we set up like a small mini production house. We were doing live action video. We were doing we did documentaries um, on like the history of the games. We did, you know, monthly dev couch videos. Uh, live streaming, we did an animated series, um, you know, a bunch of different stuff, illustration, wow. animation. That's like a the lot. Full... That's actually a lot more than I would have expected to hear out of, of a mobile gaming company. That's surprising to me. Well, because we were one, one of the things that I realized and, you know, I, I, I don't know if we want to go down like the core business side of things. So, uh, but uh, I'll give you kind of an insight into our strategy was, you know, these, these games were older, right? They were almost six years old and, you know, for those of you who work in gaming, there's a thing called user acquisition, which now, uh, you know, Apple and Google have kind of changed all their privacy. And so you can't actually target people the way you used to be able to, to target. Uh, basically think about, you know, when you, you say something out loud and all of a sudden you see an ad for that yeah. uh, and how that is changing. 
Um, whether or not that's how it actually works, I don't know. But, you know, it, it, that's the general premise or the general right. principle. Whatever your searching habits are, we serve you games that are kind of meet your criteria for what you're looking for. Because that was starting to change and we couldn't really do that with these older games, we found that the community was very, very active and very interested in kind of this weird cosplay of the characters of this game. Hmm. So we had one who was like this fake communist general and as as like our the main character. And people would talk to us in like fake communist Soviet style speak on Reddit and on Facebook and Twitter and stuff like that. So we made animation, you know, we made animated little series about it and people loved it. They ate it up. Right. And so we started to see our, our numbers and our retention numbers and our engagement numbers start to rise, not because of paid UA, but because we were constantly engaging the community and had this like one-to-one communication with them. And we'd respond to everybody super transparent. We just like, really embodied this glass box approach which is you know i feel like the combination of all my years doing social media and pr and doing creative and kind of bringing it all together and building this one team that kind of checked all those boxes right um and we saw we saw a really cool groundswell because of that okay now i have the least profound question of the whole well you know hopefully some of them have been profound but the the very most direct question which is you're not there now you're somewhere else so let's (laughs) talk just very briefly about that transition and then we'll kind of wrap up where your career is at and and the whole journey yeah so i was at hippo for about three and a half years through covid for anybody who works in games, they they probably know this, but there was this really weird spike where, and I don't know what it is, but all of a sudden everybody was playing games. Everybody mm-hmm. was playing games with their friends. You know, I, I don't know why. I, I guess maybe they were at home and they didn't really have anything else to do. So they were, you know, la- logging on and That's playing with 100% their- That's yeah. <laughs> that. Me and my friends played together online way more than we have ev- ever, probably. Yeah. So <laughs> I fully believe that's what it was. Who, who knows why, right? Um, there was this huge spike of revenue, right? And so all these games companies really started to grow quickly. My team grew, um, company grew. We were looking, you know, we were trying to support these games and, and try to bring more content to the audience. And eventually that stopped, right? People started going back outside. COVID restrictions started getting lifted. And now, you, I mean, everybody knows what's going on with tech now. Again, we're going through these rounds of mass layoffs everywhere and, and the industry is, is, you know, if you look at it, everyone says it's tanking, but if you actually look at the numbers, we're actually just leveling back out to pre-COVID yeah. numbers, right? We're not, it's not tanking. We're back to like 2019, early 2020 numbers. I've heard the same thing. The hiring during COVID for yeah. tech was huge. Everything was booming and now it's just kind of where it was. It's yeah. the ebbs and flows of industry, right? And mm-hmm. so I couldn't really do much more with the team because of the way the company had declined just because of these market conditions. And so I wanted to take my career to that next level and I wanted to learn how to do the paid side of the business. I had already done everything organically. I've done, you know, run this this internal agency, had a really great team, loved my people. Was missing this one skill set that I, I really wanted to get. I wasn't going to be able to do it there because that team was pretty established. So I decided to search for that uh, opportunity. 
uh, and I left and I'm, I'm now at Hothead Games. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's been a really interesting time because I, I came here with the intention of learning, but obviously then with the way the market is going, that has kind of changed things a little bit as well too. And so I, when I started, I was doing a lot of the paid UA. I was running that team, uh, have some really great partners in, in place to, to manage that. And now our company is actually going through a crossroads. Haha, uh, tieback. Uh, it's going through this crossroads of going from a publisher to a business-to-business work-for-hire studio where we're actually being hired out now by other game studios to build their games for them. So hmm. I'm now going from what I was I came here to learn, which is like user acquisition and the paid side of things, pivoting our entire marketing stack towards what I used to do back in the day when I was agency side, which is going out, finding clients, doing the B2B side and helping to build that sales funnel out uh, internally so that we can find new studios to build games for them. So um, it's been a really interesting journey being here at Hothead. It's been really interesting pivoting the company and and kind of seeing where we're going uh and yeah it's it's you know it's an interesting time to work in tech and games in general yeah so i think if i'm timing things out right here it's probably been about 10 years since you finished up your marketing education and since you've been working in the industry plus or minus i might be off by a little bit but you know are you did you have any sort of specific career aspirations when you got into that industry and kind of are you where you thought you might be or because this was a second career and you, you know, thought you were going to be doing something totally different. I'm sure when you, when you went to school the first time you thought right now you would be doing what, and instead you're doing what you're doing in marketing. You know what I mean? Is, is there like, do you think about that ever and think about kind of where you've come from and where you are? And if you could tell yourself when you were 18 or 20 or 25, what you'd be doing now do you think that would either like change anything or that you would just be surprised at that point about kind of what you're doing now? I think if I told my 18-year-old self that I was marketing video games for a career, I don't think that I would believe it because I was not a, I was not a gamer at that time, you know. Oh, <laughs> like, <laughs> okay. Not then. Oh yeah, that's we could do a whole other podcast about my my experience with gaming, but you know, we can we can do round 2 some other time. Perfect. Uh, but uh no, I I I had never intended to get into games. Huh. I think if I look at that 10 years, I think the first 4 to 5 years I spent finding myself and figuring out what I was good at. I think I took the same approach that I took when I was in film where I stood by all the trucks and was hearing and listening and talking to people and, and trying to figure out what I want to do. You know, I, I think if I look at my career, that's what I had. That's what I did. I, you know, I worked in PR, I worked in tech, I worked at a brewery and then I ended up in games and then I followed games. Right. I, I didn't know that this is where I'd be, you know. Um, but now, I, yeah, I'm. I I feel like I'm in the industry that I that I need to be in. I feel like I'm doing the thing that I need to be doing, uh, and I'm I'm definitely happy with the way life has kind of gotten me to where I am now. Well, that sounds like a perfect place for us to end our conversation because clearly, as you said, you're you're where you need to be. 
So Mike, thank you so much for sharing your whole journey with me. And hopefully there's uh, some people out there playing shell right now who are going to be really uh, empowered by what they hear from your story today. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you for having me. If anybody wants to connect, you can find me on LinkedIn. I'd be more than happy to connect and, and chat with anybody. Um, yeah, if you're if you have any questions about how to get into gaming, I know we talked about it uh, a little bit earlier, but uh, more than happy to uh, to share my experience with anybody in a one to one space. Perfect, and I'll put the link to your LinkedIn in the show notes. So depending on where you're listening to this, scroll down, scroll over, and you can just click a button and connect with Mike right there. So again, Mike, thanks so much, and uh, have a great rest of your day. Thanks, Ben. You too. And that was my conversation with Mike. There's plenty to learn from Mike's story, but if there's one thing that I can highlight from our conversation, it's this. If you make the decision to change careers and you go and get the necessary qualifications to move to a new career, that doesn't mean you have to leave your old career entirely in the rearview mirror. It can be difficult to break into a new industry, especially when you're experienced in something else. And sometimes you need to be practical and do what pays the bills. That's why Mike ended up back in film after graduating from BCIT. But I also think there's something to be said about how showcasing new skills and strengths to an old audience can put you in a good position going forward. When Mike went back to work for the final season on that television show after he left BCIT, he was in a position to hear what that production needed, which was a social media coordinator, which was very much in his wheelhouse after his new education. So Mike had the skills required, and he was a known quantity to the people making the decision, and he had proven himself to be trustworthy. In a world where job postings on the internet can be seen by literally anyone around the world, being physically present can be a contributing factor in getting certain opportunities, and I think Mike's career shows us that. Now, this opportunity, of course, isn't available to everyone. Sometimes old and new fields of work have literally zero connection, but it is worth trying to consider whether or not there is that thread. If you see a way that your old career can help launch your new career, why wouldn't you see if there's a way that you can give yourself a leg up on the competition? That's all for this week's episode of Career Crossroads. Find Mike on LinkedIn in the show notes. And if you know someone who would benefit from hearing about Mike's career path, please share this episode with them. You can also support the podcast by following, rating, and reviewing in whatever podcast player you're listening to this right now in. And to see what else is going on in the world of Career Crossroads, go to careercrossroads.ca.